As you probably know, historic flooding occurred in British Columbia last week. Mudslides, highways washed out, power outages. Uh, towns were evacuated, lives were lost, uh, people, cattle, chickens, turkeys, and all kinds of uh, domestic creatures. Land was lost, vehicles were lost, they were submerged underwater, bridges and mountain passes just completely washed away. Which meant that people were stranded alongside the country, mountainous roads and highways, and sometimes there were vehicles and stuck in their vehicles, and sometimes they were just abandoned alongside the road there, didn't know what they were going to do. I can't imagine how frightening that must have been to be caught out there in the cold, in the middle of nowhere, late at night, far from your home, not knowing how long you were going to be stranded or if you were even going to make it. So one of the places where many of the people were stranded alongside the road was a back road near Hope, British Columbia. And there, there was a Christian campgrounds and it is called Camp Hope. And the people there gladly received close to 300 people. And right now we are gonna to talk to some of those people and let them tell you their stories. Stories of people uh, who were also at the camp, who were running the camp, and, and how they interacted with one another and how they did what they did. So we want to begin by speaking to Samantha. Samantha is a young mother with two small boys. And Samantha was stranded at the time of the floods at Camp Hope. Samantha, thank you so much for being willing to share your story with us on Eddie's Written Canada. Thanks so much. Um, I definitely have quite the lasting impression of Camp Hope and I feel like I've learned a lot about what road preparedness now means for traveling with young children. Um, I guess I'll start with Sunday morning. We left our family. We were visiting in the Shushwap and we proceeded through Merritt onto the Coquihalla where traffic was stopped. We waited there probably 45 minutes before a marker vehicle passed on the shoulder. We went back to Merritt following a pilot car. In Merritt, we were rerouted. And one of the things that stands out to me is as a habit, I love traveling on very little fuel and <laughs> often see my gas tank go to very close to nothing. And for some reason on Sunday, every chance that I had to fill up fuel, I did. And I don't know why I did that, but I'm so grateful because had I not done that, we would have had a very cold night in our car. I have to follow traffic through hope. We go through hope. It is pitch black. There's no power. Power is wiped out. There are vehicles parked everywhere. You can tell that people are just staying in their vehicles. Um, there are people parked under gas station cover. Um, there's just an abundance of vehicles everywhere. I look at Drive BC at 740 and it tells me, nope, this is not an accident. This is a mudslide. Uh, and I think maybe at 1130 it dawns on me. Okay, I think we're sleeping here. Like I don't think there's anywhere to go. Uh, I didn't want to waste fuel to go back to Hope. And I think that 
in that moment, God was protecting me because I didn't look on my GPS to know if I could go back to hope. So nothing had alerted me that a slide had happened behind us as well. So I sat there patiently, peacefully, as Andrew mentioned, hopefully, you know, with a positive outlook about the road's going to clear. We'll just have a little nap. It'll be fine. You know, the, the warning that it's saying is no detour available, no estimated time of clearing this road. Um, and then at 1.30, it says next update is 7 a.m. And I go, oh, okay. And so I just laid there. Thankfully, the vehicle behind me, actually, a lady came up and said, she knocked on my window, said, hey, you know, I see you're here with two boys. If you need anything, I'm just right here. Don't worry about bothering me. I don't have much, but I, you know, I can help. And it just, that was just the first instance where I kind of felt calmer knowing that we really were all together. You know, we were all parked on the road. We didn't pull off the road. We were stopped on the road. Everybody started turning their vehicles off. It was pitch black and you just went, okay, well, this is where we sit. And when we woke up in the morning, I thought, okay, I don't have breakfast for these I children. So I need to go get food. So I turn around on the highway. There's a gentleman disconnected from a larger tractor trailer. He's handing out water bottles. And I ask him, can I just go back to Hope to get breakfast? And he says, oh yeah, you can go through. He had no idea that he was also stuck in this. Um, and then again, I'll say a million times, miraculously, this white fan shows up. And this gentleman says to me, if you need to go to the bathroom or you need a place to just sit outside of your car that's going to be warm. Um, there might even be some food. You know, you can go and park your car on the highway. Don't try to drive your car through because the water is rushing over the roadway into the camp. I said, okay. Every single person that we saw at Camp, camp Hope was incredibly generous so kind. I didn't see any people scurrying around stressed. I knew that they were busy. I knew that they were, you know, doing the things that needed to be done. And I knew that they knew more about what was going on than what I knew. And I just can't believe that on a 17 minute stretch of road between where my car stopped and hope that there would be a place like this that would be able to meet not my wants, but every single need that myself or my children have. So I, I know for me that that answer is God looking out for us and caring for us and making sure that our needs are met like he promises. Um, and I just will be forever grateful that I continued on that journey that day and stopped where I did because had I not, it would have looked really different. Um, I saw nothing but kindness, open arms. You know, Andrea was wheeling around. She offered toys to my children. She offered blankets to keep them warm. It, it just never stopped. It's, there was just never ending offers of things that we might need that I hadn't even thought about yet. I hadn't even had a minute to really realize what we were up against. So you mentioned something really interesting there, Samantha, and people may not be aware that um, way back with the Lytton fire, 
there were some First Nations people who were displaced. Still, Lytton has not been rebuilt and probably won't be for years. Uh, so a lot of those folks are, are there. Um, some of those are, have been permanently living there. And okay. so, and you're residing there as well. Um, and all of a sudden the camp staff had about 300 people that they had to feed. Uh, that was huge. And one of the things that, that I, I saw from your Facebook um, um, note that you mentioned that it's hard for you to, to receive. Um, it's hard for many of us to receive something from someone else. And uh, you were the recipient of, of people being kind to you. And one of the things that you wanted to do was to contribute towards a playground uh, okay. for children there at Camp Hope. And so if you'd like to make a donation to that, um, there is a, there's a website uh, where it says camphope.ca and there's a donate tab and you can, you can take a look at that. We're gonna go on to Andrew, um, the Godette family. Yeah, Andrew's going to be our next guest. And, and his wife. And, and his wife. Okay, well, we went to visit my family in Penticton, ended up leaving around two o'clock, which I knew we were going to be driving in the dark. I didn't know what was up ahead, of course. It was pitch black. It was raining. The wind was crazy. There were vehicles pulled all over on the side of the road, and I couldn't even see the lines. I was relying on the reflection of the trees to, to, to guide the way because I couldn't see the road at all. It was a treacherous drive. We were trying to listen to News 1130, but it was really choppy. The reception was terrible. We had no cell service, so there wasn't a way to reach out to anybody. And traffic came to a grinding halt on Highway 7. I don't know. It just I had no idea what was going on. I was just hopeful that the road ahead was clearing. But time kept going by. I think it was about 1130, and we hadn't moved at all. The car was off now, and... It was getting cold, so I had to turn the car back on and heat it up and then shut it off once it was warm again. And the kids were crying. They were worried, mainly my daughter, Chloe. Uh, we were just reassuring them, you know, kids, it's going to be fine. Just go to sleep. Uh, as soon as we can go, we'll go. Don't worry. God's got our best interests. And we ended up falling asleep probably sometime after midnight. And I remember waking up about 530 in the morning just as it started to get a little bit light out. And I looked in the glove compartment to see what was in there. There was two granola bars and a half of a bottle of water left. That's all we had. And I was just praying that the road would open up because I didn't know what was going on. <clears throat> it was probably around noon, the kids were starving and there was, like I said, two granola bars and a half a bottle of water. So I went for a walk with them. We walked up the road as far as I could anyway, I think we had walked about four kilometers up the road and just around the bend, I saw cars still continued as far as the eye could see. It's probably like another three, four hours of walking before I might find out anything. The kids and I turned around and started to walk back. And that's when uh, a trucker stopped me right by the park there. He updated me with what's going on. He said, we're probably going to be stuck in our cars for two to three days. He said, there's not only a mudslide up ahead, there's another mudslide behind that's blocking access now to Highway 1. So we're trapped. We're trapped in our cars. That's when I started to get really worried. The fear and the anxiety started to set in. And I was just trying to keep my kids calm because Dominic being the older one and Chloe's very intelligent, they picked up on it right away. They're like, what, two, three days? They didn't know that what we had for, for food 
food or water though. So, I mean, they, they weren't as concerned as I am. I mean, me being the dad and the provider, I'm, I, I didn't know what to think. So we proceeded back to the car and that, as soon as I told Laura what's going on two, three days in the car, Laura, Laura couldn't believe it. She's like, no, there's no way that's not possible. I was like, he just heard from his dispatch and the truckers know what's going on. Believe me. I was like, we're going to be trapped in our car for two, three days. Laura was crying. Dominic, Chloe were crying. I was trying to hold it together. I was like, you know what? This is, this is the time we pray group prayer together. Let's pray to God. We know that something is going to happen. God's watching out for us. I mean, we're here. We're okay. We're all alive. We're together. Uh, that's all we, that's all we got to think of. And I know something will happen that'll be for the best it was only about 10 minutes later guy comes up in a white van and laura was in the driver's seat at the time and she rolled the window down and he told us if you guys are hungry you want a place of warmth you can go back to camp hope and i was unsure like even though this guy told us this i didn't know what to think i mean didn't know who the guy was but laura had the gut instinct that we had to do it She's like, let's turn around, let's go. Like, we have nothing, nothing to lose. I mean, we're starving. We, we, we got to go check it out. So we did. We saw that the road was flooded out. So we parked our car on the side, grabbed all our essentials that we could and, and got on the bus, made it in time. And I didn't know what we were going to. I mean, we got there. We saw the parking lot had cars in it. There was a bunch of people standing outside. I heard them mention that we could also get a room if we wanted to and I kept that in the back of my mind they had food that they were serving so the kids went and got food we all ate and as we sat down to eat that's when I said to Laura I'm like you know what I'm gonna go talk to the office there I heard something about a room and Laura was just like how Samantha was she was like you know what we're probably gonna get out of here I don't think we're gonna be here all day and I said I don't know I was like listen babe I was like I think that we're going to be here for at least another night I was like I can't see us getting out today the trucker had mentioned that the engineers still had to come and, and check the ground and make sure the ground was safe before they could even start digging there had been no progress made and from what I'm hearing we're going to be here for two three days so I want to be prepared I went up front and uh, Bob was there and he took uh, my information down and he said I have four rooms left it's a good thing you came when you did I got a, a room that has a double and two singles I hope that works for you I was like that's excellent I mean that's more than we could ever hope of the kids had a place to sleep they were they were feeding us breakfast lunch and dinner and, and snacks and coffee and water what what was the best for me was the kids were able to take their mind off the reality of what was going on they, they didn't they, they were just being kids they were enjoying themselves to them, it was like we were staying at a hotel. It was, it was a small little camp vacation for them, but I still had all the anxiety and stress because I, w I knew I wasn't going to work. I, was gonna, I didn't know how long we were gonna be there for. I mean, the reality was setting in for me, we were gonna be there for a while. So we did as everybody else did. We just, we were kind to everybody. Everybody was willing to help. Andrea, the lady in the wheelchair, she was more than, more than helpful trying to give the kids things to do give them toys whatever they needed like half the time is just Laura myself and Ralphie and Ralphie was like Laura said he was uh he was the camp host he, he, everybody was loving Ralphie up Andrew let's talk about Ralphie for a minute I'm gonna let Laura show us who Ralphie is 
I mean, he's sleeping, but here <laughs> he is. Rocky, yeah. what's this? What's this? He's like passed out. Rocky. He's not interested. Laura, as a, you know, listening to Andrew, it was quite emotional for me. And I can just, yeah. I just couldn't be begin to imagine what you as a mommy was going through. Because I'm a mom with two children too. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience and share with how you felt? It's the same as Samantha and Andrew. Like it was just like not thinking that this would happen. Like we were going to Penticton. It was sunny there. Yeah, it was raining. But I mean, here it always rains. We're in Vancouver. It's not anything else. Like you're just used to it. And just knowing, yeah, we're going to go. We're, we'll go like thinking that that's going to happen, like eventually we'll go. And just the knowledge of set, like of it setting in that we're stuck here and literally with nothing. We don't, we didn't even bring a blanket. It was, yeah. I don't even know how to explain it. Just. You, did you feel like it was an answer to prayer? It definitely was like, yeah. I don't know. I got this, sorry. I got this feeling when we were going in the bus to the camp it's just like I don't know this feeling came over me it's like I had this I don't even know how to explain it it's just like this feel this feeling of relief but it's also like this is what we got into it was I don't even know how to explain it it was amazing that we were able to go where we were all the fighting literally was between the dogs and that was amazing with so many different kinds of people so many different walks of life they were all everyone was like a big family thank you so much laura thank you laura but rob i know you're sitting in your vehicle there um you started a facebook page i survived at camp hope um, and uh, there's, a, there's a number of uh, Facebook um, pages. I know there was one that was almost 9,000 followers, uh, something about um, I, I was stranded. Stuck on, on seven. Stuck, yeah. yeah stuck, stuck on, on seven. On Highway seven in British Columbia, right. Uh, Rob, tell us about your experience. Well, I had uh, gone up to Kamloops on the very early on the Saturday morning, actually, to visit my mother in long-term care because I hadn't been up there for a while. And, and we were sitting there having lunch, watching the news and realized that the Coquihalla had been shut down. And so I thought, well, and I hummed and hawed for a while. And it was about 10 minutes to two when I finally pulled out of Kamloops, wondering if I'd made the right decision or not. So we got to Hope, and again, the highway, highway 1 was shut off there, and then they gave you no choice but to go down into Hope. So I got down into Hope. Well, everything was pitch black, and I thought, well, what's the point of getting a room if I'm going to be freezing with no heat and, and no lights, and if they'll even let me have a room? So I just kept uh, stop-and-go traffic all the way down, out through Hope, down uh, onto number 7, knowing that was the only way I could go anyway. And uh, it was a pretty slow go. I think I'd gone through Hope about an hour earlier when finally the cars just all stopped moving. I'll just wait here. They'll have it open. And Anyway, I ended up spending the night there. 
I guess I'm going to be here for a while. I might as well go back to Hope and get myself a coffee at least. I was more concerned about coffee than food, actually. And uh, sitting there all by myself, I had someone with me. They probably talked some sense into me. But anyway, I turned around and started driving back to Hope and and got and went around a corner and there was another big slide across the road. So I thought, well, I guess I'm not going to Hope for coffee. And I just turned around from that and this white van came driving down the road and said, you know, we got, I'm from Camp Hope up here and we've got a generator going and we've got some food we can feed you. And uh, if need be, we got some rooms we could put you up in. And he says, we even got some hot coffee. Well, as soon as I heard that hot coffee thing, I thought that sounds like a good idea. You know, I said, well, you know, there's just too much water going across that road. I don't think I can make it through there. He says, well, we solved that problem. We've got a bus going now. So I went back and got on the bus and and, and went into Camp Hope. And like everybody else, I made all kinds of friends there. We, uh, I talked for quite a bit to a lot of the First Nations people that were there that were volunteering. They were stoked, keeping the fire stoked up to keep us all warm. And uh, nothing, nothing but good things to say about my experience at Camp Hope. Um, when finally we heard on the six o'clock news that the highway was opened and everybody was all of a sudden running for the door, I kind of felt sorry for the cooks and spent their whole afternoon uh, preparing food for everybody. So I stayed for dinner, actually, and we left the camp at about seven o'clock that night and I got home to my boat in, in Richmond at 1230. And uh, it was after I got home that I, you know, I thought how grateful I was and how grateful other people I'd met there were and thought, gee, you know, here I've gone from living alone on my boat to being in a place where there was two or 300 really nice people to talk to. And, and uh, I just felt lonely. So I decided, well, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can start a Facebook page and, and keep the conversations going that were started at Camp Hope. So, so I did, I started a Facebook page and uh, voila, that's how, that's how you people got a hold of me. But you know, one thing I'd, I'd like to mention is that everybody that I've talked to that worked at Camp Hope or that was at Camp Hope, everyone says how nice everybody was when we were there. And, you know, I got thinking about that for a while. And I think one of the reasons we were all so nice when we were at Camp Hope is we were just terrified we might get kicked out of there. So we'd best <laughs> behave ourselves. And here are the people at Camp Hope themselves were stranded and they were emptying their shells to feed us. And then when I got back home to Richmond and I looked in my fridge and went, well, I've been away for a couple of days. I should go stock up. And I went to the stores here in Richmond and, and the store shelves were all empty. And I thought, well, that's just really strange. I went from a place where they were um, emptying their shelves to feed me to a place where other people were emptying the shelves so that I couldn't get food. And it just really uh, struck home, you know. Yeah. just how good how lucky we are you know like i've told all my friends well you know if you want lessons on how to get stranded on a highway come talk to me because i do it in five star style so. <laughs> awesome thank you rob our next um person that we're going to be speaking to is nilpa nilpa thank you so much um, yeah. for being willing to share with us and tell us a little bit about yourself as well Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to share the experience. My family and I live in the Lower Mainland and we were just coming back just like Samantha from the Shushwap. And uh, we didn't want to hit the inclement weather, weather on uh, uh, the Coquihalla. So we started off Highway 1 and we got to Spencer's Bridge and we had to turn around and go through Highway 8. And that's where we found out that the Coquihalla was closed and uh, we went through Highway 3. 
And it sort of felt as if all of the roads were just closing behind us. So it was like an action movie, honestly. By the time we got to Highway 7 and I checked Drive BC to see that there's an assessment in progress, I didn't breathe a word of it to my family because we were just so sick and tired of all the detours. And just like the rest of the people, we were stuck on the highway for the full night. And come morning, uh, when we woke up, my daughter confessed and said, you know what, I prayed last night to God and my angels that uh, we get out of here. And I felt so helpless. I mean, what can you do? You can only rely on faith. But I was calm. I don't know whether it was ignorance or it was um, a sense of knowing that we're being taken care of. I don't know which it was. So um, there comes this guy in a white van and he tells us, uh, you know, we've got food accommodations here at Camp Hope. And we ignored him just fine because that's what you do when you've got a metropolitan mentality. You don't talk to strangers in vans. And um, he came again and he told us, well, you know, we've got a camp there, accommodations. So we thought we'll check it out. And the road was flooded. We got there just as the cars were reversing. We thought, no, we don't know what's on the other side. So we went. But he was pretty tenacious. He came back again and said, there's a camp there. And we told him we can't get through the road. He said, well, there's a bus. And indeed, there was a magical school bus that I will never forget um, that carried us to the lodge. And it was truly the light on the other side. And it was amazing. That's amazing. Thank you so much. So you had to be invited three times, no point yes. to go. Yes, yes, we had to be invited. And I can tell you that there were many things that really struck me. Probably the first thing, no questions asked. Everybody was welcomed with open arms, regardless of anything, anything. Open arms and a wide smile. And yeah, we're very grateful for that. Yeah, that's the thing is that everybody was so calm and collected, as um, the people mentioned, they knew the extent of what was happening more than we did. And uh, we didn't know that they had their own loved ones stuck behind one of the mudslides, but you would never know by looking at them. Like one of the members, Evelyn, she was taking care of her two little cherubs, her grandchildren, while her children were stuck outside, but she was making sure that we were taking care of all the while, and you would never know by looking at her. Wow. So we have a we have a common denominator here, and that is this white van. Yes. Sun showing up for look everybody. out for the white van. Look out <laughs> yeah. for the white van. So we're going to talk about that. Um, Karen Ritchie uh, is the camp cook, and uh, she was able to keep in touch with the people and be meet them when they were there. Um, so we're going to ask Karen uh, to talk to us about her experience as people were arriving at the camp. Well, I'll tell you. Um, we actually didn't have a better uh, take on what was happening than anybody else, but we did know that people that were sitting out all night were probably, after they found our bathrooms, they would be very hungry and that coffee might have been a really handy item to have. And so we just plowed through, cooked everything we could find, 
Um, I tried to seek out moms with little ones uh, for diapers and I went hunting for toothbrushes and toothpaste in case anybody either wanted it for themselves or they wanted to suggest it for somebody else because we were in pretty close quarters there. And um, when I just marveled at how grateful everybody was, it didn't matter really, nobody really asked what we were serving them, what was in the pot. They were just like, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. And always so grateful. And we had a long line of people to eat. And, and I just kept praying, Lord, you know how big this pot is and you know how long the line is. Please keep filling it. And there was a couple of meals um, where we just didn't know if it was going to be enough. And I truly believe it was another miracle, like the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Um, and we did have fish, actually. And, um, and it, it, it always lasted. There was always enough right to the last person. And even enough for the little three-toothed chihuahua that couldn't have didn't have any food with them, but he could have soft food. And um, everybody just was patient. I don't know. I mean, I could imagine inside they were not feeling patient, but we tried to create an environment um, of peacefulness and just um, acceptance of everybody and that we were in the same boat, in a sense. And we were all there for each other. And it was really a well, I'll never forget it. I thought at first it was a nightmare, but it actually, someone suggested it was like a Hallmark movie. Um, it kind of got less and less like a Hallmark movie as the days went by, but it was still the beautiful purity of that and everyone just helping everybody else. And again, our First Nations people, I mean, when they went to bed Sunday night, there were 20 of them when they got up in the morning there were 300 of them and they was like what but they were very gracious and uh it was it was a beautiful time so did you have some uh some helpers in the kitchen um you know everybody kind of just just uh pitched in and helped you out there yes we did we started out with about five of us and that was a little uh, overwhelming um and pretty soon Nilpar's husband had come and he said, you know, if you need any help at all, just any help, I mean it, any help at all. Well, we didn't want to bother anybody, but we realized that maybe people needed to help. They felt they needed to pass the time. And so we got him doing dishes. Poor guy got absolutely soaked. He was very efficient and very um, enthusiastic. <laughs> you know, I think there, the spirit of God certainly was there with us. Well, thank you, Karen. So we're going to um, end off our talk today with Bill, who is the camp director. Bill, thank you so much for joining us on um, this Zoom meeting with Eddie's Written Canada. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, honored to be here. Actually, this was a, a monumental thing for the camp. Um, we were honored to do this. Um, you know, it wasn't, there was no question whether we would do it or not. I believe we got a call in the morning from, um, you know, we're on the, on the map of the emergency services of BC now because we had hosted a quite a number of the evacuees and burnout victims from the Lytton fire uh, 
think it was June 30. And then uh, I think July 11, they started arriving. So we actually had quite a busy summer um, with as many as 200 uh, there at one time. So I guess that was a little bit of our practice run all of a sudden having an, an increase. And so, um, so things had quieted down. We only have about 20 of them now that have no homes to go to. Uh, and they're not allowed to return to their home if they have one. I, I wish I could have been there. I would have loved to be in that white van. I wish I was the gentleman, that old gentleman in, the, in there, you know, calling people, hey, come into the camp. I've been associated. I mean, I've been associated with the camp for most of my life, but working, this is my 11th year. And to be able to go out there and invite people in there is just almost like a dream, you know, say, come into the camp. I mean, we, you know, we know the camp. We love the camp. I got a message from a friend who who uh, has a helicopter. They they teach flying, and he said, "Do you still need help?" And I said, "Yes." He said, "Okay, well, I'm flying up to the I'm flying up to Hope with an empty copter," and uh, he says, "This was about 7:25." He said, "If you can be here at 8:45 with groceries," he said, "I'll take them up." Oh my goodness! Okay, uh, hangar where the helicopter was, and had to weigh everything and write the, the weight on the bag, and they loaded it in and sent it off and, and um, um, I'm glad it got there. Um, there was a little video clip of people coming out to help unload it and that was really heartwarming to see. We had like a hundred helpers, people carrying the groceries and I think, I think people were relieved to see the food but also it was a morale booster I think as people saw, saw that even though they were doing pretty good, that they weren't forgotten there at the camp. That you know, help, help come, food had come, and then it was. Then that was like the first one, and then after that, I think there was maybe another one that day. I was able to send another one up the next morning, and soon after that, the road opened and 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 other supplies from in Hope uh, came trickling in. Um, I also wanted to mention our our neighbor, our na First Nations neighbors down the road. Um, Chihuahua First Nation, they also took in around 100 people, I believe, and the, the Skawa look down at Ruby Creek, they had about 70. So we had a whole corridor of helping communities there working, working to help our, our stranded um, fellow Canadians. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that is, that is the Canadian way to be friendly. I just love it. I just love it. Thank you very much, Bill. And thank you everyone for sharing your stories. Uh, and if you have any uh, thoughts or, or you'd like to connect with people, there's uh, the, the Facebook uh, connection pages where uh, people had been stranded. I think it's stranded on Highway 7. Stuck on 7. Stuck on 7. And uh, so that's, and that's on Facebook. And also I uh, survived at Camp Hope. Um, and there is, uh, if you'd like to contribute, um, you can go to camphope.ca and there's a donations tab there. If you would like to donate to the, uh, the playground that Samantha was talking about and, and, and said, this is something we should, uh, we should do. And um, so we are just uh, so grateful that uh, that this happened and it just it, it feels beautiful and so thank you very much everyone for contributing um we're going to close with a word of prayer hey, can so, i say oh yeah go ahead bill and i'm going to ask you to pray okay uh, the inner communities there's a there's a shortage of store feel feel good stories that warm your heart you know, we've, we have been divided lately. We've been arguing over this and that and different opinions. 
And that isn't the Canadian way, and it feels foreign to me. And so I just sense that people were wanting to hear this, and it is a it is a heartwarming thing, you know. Just and and not just at the camp in in the whole uh, city of Hope. Um, I heard stories of people baking cookies and bread, going window to window, car to car, offering food and pizza place giving free pizzas and you know the story goes on and on and on and we don't even know the half of it probably because people aren't going out saying this is what I did this is what I did it's what people like our stranded travelers are sharing that's when the stories come out is when they are they share their gratitude and their thankfulness for the hospitality and generosity of, of the of the people in hope all right let's bow our heads father in heaven thank you for this opportunity to to share and to talk and for these stories to be heard lord um it, nature was um terrible for a few days there causing these slides and and people were trapped but uh, lord over 40 some years ago um we had people with a vision to build a camp there and over the years it has served in many capacities and lord thank you so much that it was there at this time to help these innocent travelers just returning home from um, family gatherings and family outings that we need in our lives and thank you for the the staff uh, and the first nations visitors that were hosts and greeters and workers and um, thank you that we were able to provide a temporary home and sanctuary from um, the slides, from the rain, from the cold, and make everyone, uh, give them a better place to be. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer today, and thank you for the opportunity to share these stories, in, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, uh, Samantha and Rob, uh, Bill, and uh, thank you so much, Karen, I remember Laura, Nilpar, and Andrew. Um, and uh, blessings to you all, and also to Ralphie. And okay. Okay. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca, or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.